Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. Take your Bibles and turn back to the Gospel of Luke. We are uh, in Luke chapter 5 this morning. Luke 5, beginning in verse 33. And we're going to study down through uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 11. In a moment, I'm going to read to you, beginning in verse 33 of chapter 5, into chapter 6, probably around verse 5 or so. But we'll look at, in the message, all the way down through verse 11. So go ahead and find that in your Bible. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 33, down through chapter 6, verse 11. If you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. Because in the seat before you, down the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible, pick that copy of the Bible up and find Luke 5 with us, Luke 5, 33 through chapter 6, verse 11. If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible home with you and read it and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Luke 5, 33 uh, through chapter 6, verse 11. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is real easy to find. Just find the four gospels. They begin our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke is the third gospel in the New Testament. We've been in Luke ever since the Christmas season and we will be uh, in the gospel. Luke, who knows, maybe until Jesus returns. I have no idea, but we're going to be here for a while and it's good because I enjoy, uh, and I hope you do too, I really enjoy studying the life and ministry of Jesus. And, and this is the first time I've ever actually taught through uh, Luke's gospel before, and I am learning so much. It's been such a, a joy for me and hopefully it is for you. Luke 5, 33 through chapter 6, 11, that's what we're looking at this morning. So in a couple months in May, Stacy and I, we will celebrate our 15th wedding anniversary. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm very thankful. Um, I'm very thankful she's still around and it's a good. And so life has been good. So I'm very thankful for 15 years of marriage. I don't know what we're going to do yet to celebrate, but it's going to be great. So, so if you remember back, and I know in this room, we represent all kinds of ages and stages in life. I know some of you are looking toward marriage someday. You hope that someday God's going to bring you a spouse and I'm pretty sure he will. And maybe you've been married for a few years. Maybe you're like me, you've been married 10, 15 years. Some of you in this room, you've been married 50 years and above. So I know all across this room that we represent different stages when it comes to, to marriage. Uh, but if you remember, if you're like me and you've been married for a while and you remember back uh, to when you got married or before you got married, uh, you remember the whole uh, phase of planning a wedding. That's the worst thing in the world, isn't it? I mean, it's just terrible. And so I remember planning the wedding and being drugged to all these different places to pick this out and decide on invitations. And I mean, it was just crazy. But, but the one part I enjoyed the most by far was picking out the wedding cake. 
Because, because, and I don't know if you did this when you uh, uh, got married, but we were able to actually go to different bakers and, and try the cake. I mean, that, that was really, really fun. They'll bring out all these different samples and that was really cool. And so we, this was the cake that we had when we got married, just so you could see a picture. It's a beautiful cake, right? I mean, and, and I look pretty good too. And Stacy wasn't so bad, but it's a beautiful cake. And so that was our wedding cake and it, it, was, it was a great cake. And so, so I don't know if you did this. I don't really know why that we did this. And, but this is apparently the tradition, or at least we were told this was the tradition. And so we did. That top part of the cake, we took home with us. Did you do that? You took part of the cake home with you and we put it in our freezer. And so what you're supposed to do to celebrate a year of marriage is on uh, your year anniversary, you take that bad boy out and you eat it. We did. It wasn't good. (laughs) But we did what we were supposed to do. And then, and then, uh, now watch this. We put that cake back in the freezer and it's still there. (laughs) 15 years of marriage. And we, when I go to get my bluebell, I see that cake sitting right there. And so I don't know, I think maybe for our 15th anniversary, we should pull that bad boy out and, and, and try it out and see how good it is. <sighs> yeah. Right. I, I have no reason why I, have, I can, I can guess why we still have that cake. It has something to do with my wife, but, but we still have that thing 15 years. I mean, it's literally moved across the country with us. We can't get rid of it, but this cake is in the back of our freezer. And, and, and here's the reason why, here's the reason why when you got married, you did that. And put, I don't know if any of you have 15 year old cake in your freezer or not. Maybe we're the only ones that do. But if you do, here's the reason why. It is a reminder of something significant that happened in your life. You got married and that's a good thing. And so when I think about that year anniversary, it was a reminder of that day we got married. And whether it's cake or something else, if you're married, you, you have those kinds of things, whether it's a photo album or some, some knickknacks from your wedding, you have some visual reminders of that day you got married. And when you look at those visual reminders and maybe it's, you're like me, it, it brings back those memories and you can't help but be thankful uh, for that day that God gave you a spouse. It's just a really good thing, right? When we come to the passage of scripture we're looking at this morning, it is a reminder of the commitment that God has made to us. Jesus Christ is our groom and we are his bride. And every Sunday when we gather together, we might not eat cake, but we get to celebrate that God has done something in us through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, listen, listen, and here's why I tell you this. Think about where we've been the last couple of weeks. We looked at the, the amazing story of Jesus healing a man with leprosy and restoring him back to the community. That's what Jesus does. He restores us. And, and, and we looked last week at Jesus, right? Healing this paralytic man. But when he heard this man who struggled paralysis, he said to him, what church? Your sins are forgiven. And so every Sunday when we gather together, we are reminded that we are the bride of Christ and that our sins have been forgiven and we are being restored, that there's gonna come a day that God brings us out of this world and we're home with him and we're gonna sit around the banqueting table and feast with God for all of eternity. And every Sunday we are reminded of that reality. Now I tell you that to tell you this, with that reality, come some realities that you can experience today inside of a relationship with Jesus, with with your sins forgiven, with this idea of God is restoring you to himself. There is in that reality, now watch, watch. I know you know this, but listen closely. There is much joy and there is much rest. And here you are living in this world that's broken, 
that's sinful. And it doesn't seem like there's much joy and rest sometimes. But in a relationship with Jesus, there is. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I just want to remind you from this passage, that's what you have. Because your sins have been forgiven, because you've been restored to the Father, you have joy and you have rest. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, oh, how I want you to find joy and rest that comes in a relationship with Jesus. I want your restlessness to go away. I want your joylessness to be overcome by the joy of Christ. And so what I wanna show you in this passage we're looking at this morning, I just wanna show you two truths, two truths that I think are gonna help you to understand how you can experience the joy and rest that comes in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So take your Bibles, look at Luke chapter five with me, if you will. Luke five, beginning down in verse 33. We're gonna begin our time there. So you'll go ahead and rise your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Luke five, beginning in verse 33. This is what the Bible says. Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guest fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also uh, the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. No new wine is put into fresh wine skins and no one after drinking old wine wants new because he says the old is better. On a Sabbath, he passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any, but the priest to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. Then he told them the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Father, thank you for this morning, for time to be together, to worship, to be reminded that because you've forgiven us of our sins and you've restored us to yourself through a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's much joy and much rest in you. And Father, here's what I want this morning. I want every person in this room to know joy this morning, to know rest. Father, if there are people in this room this morning who have never placed their faith in Jesus, who are not followers of yours, Father, I pray this morning that they would begin to understand how much you love them. And they would experience this morning the joy of a relationship with Jesus Christ. For those of us who are your followers, who maybe right now feel kind of restless, Father, remind us this morning where true rest is found. Father, we trust that you're gonna speak to us this morning as you do. Help us listen carefully to what you're saying and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So we've looked at these amazing stories of Jesus healing the sick, of Jesus ministering, teaching. I mean, Luke's gospel has been a very helpful reminder to us of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, we're in this section of Luke's gospel where Luke is pointing out to us some confrontations that Jesus had with the religious leaders of the day. And in this particular passage, it's specifically with the Pharisees. Now, if you've been to church before, if you've been around the church, you've heard of the Pharisees and, and you probably know something about them. But just understand that in Jesus's day, the Pharisees, they were a highly influential group of people. In in that day, there were about 6,000 Pharisees in in Judea and Galilee. And and these Pharisees were very influential among the ordinary people, people like you and me. Uh, they, they, They were really, really concerned about the law being kept. 
the Old Testament law. They wanted that law to be kept. And so what they did, and you've probably heard a preacher like me tell you this before, what they did is they developed what was called the tradition of the elders. When you read through the gospels, you'll oftentimes see uh, this tradition of the elders or the traditions of men referred to. And so what they did is that they wanted to safeguard the law so much that they came up with additional rules to help you keep the law. These additional rules, they weren't scripture. They weren't the law given by God. These were just rules that they had developed to help people to be able to keep the law. The problem was it was very taxing. It became very complicated. These were oral, they were passed down from, uh, from generation to generation among the Pharisees. But eventually there would come a day that they were written down uh, called the Mishnah. That's another story for another day. But these, these laws, these rules and regulations that, that were developed by these religious leaders, uh, they became very important to these religious leaders and they would police others. So if you weren't doing these things that the Pharisees told you to do, it didn't sit well with the Pharisees and they would call you out. They policed. I mean, it was really, if you think about it, kind of a joyless system. And what these Pharisees would do, what was a big deal to them was fasting. Now, when you go back to the Old Testament, you read about fasting. A fasting is when, when you voluntarily, right, give up food for a period of time. And in the Old Testament, you'll read about people fasting. Oftentimes you'll read about people fasting, maybe during a time of national tragedy, uh, when, when they were grieving over sin, maybe uh, a time of repentance. When you go back to the Old Testament though, there was only one, only one required fast. And that required fast was around the day of atonement. Uh, that day when the people would, would come together in and, and, and Jerusalem and they would uh, atone for their sins as a priest would go into the Holy of Holies. That was the only time during the year that there was a required fast. And so all the other fasts that you read about in the Old Testament, they were voluntary. But what the Pharisees did, are you following? What the Pharisees did is that they would fast twice a week. Twice a week. And if you were religious, if you're really spiritual, if you really wanted to please God, you would join them in their fasting. A lot of John's disciples did the same thing. These were John's disciples who had not yet uh, left John to follow Jesus and they would do the same thing. Stuck in that way of, of fasting twice a week to prove how spiritually superior they were to everybody else. But Jesus is different. He's not like everybody else. And in, in an attempt to prove their spiritual piety, Many Jewish people are fasting twice a week, but Jesus and his disciples are not. I mean, we already saw it last week. Jesus does things like goes to the homes of tax collectors and, and feast. If, you, if we had time and we were really gonna look at some things in Luke's gospel uh, just a little more intently, one of the things that you see Jesus doing a lot in Luke's gospel, he eats a lot. Jesus really liked to eat. And you don't really read about him fasting. Why? Well, look at what Jesus says. You come down and, and, and we just read a moment ago, but look what he says in verse 34. Jesus said to him when he's questioned about why his disciples don't fast, he says, you can't make the wedding guest fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. You see what Jesus is saying. Why will we fast? I'm here. And God in the flesh is present. The groom is among his bride. This is not a time for fasting. It's not a time for grieving. It's not a time for mourning. This is a time for what church? It's a time for celebrating. Can you think of anything more joyous than being a disciple who is with Jesus? Why would we fast? They are with the God man. Jesus says there's gonna come a day when they fast. 
When I'm taken away, I believe there he's referring to his crucifixion, that when Jesus goes to the cross, his disciples are going to what? They are going to mourn. Not for long, obviously, because three days later, he would rise again. But Jesus says, right now, in this moment, I am present among my people. It is a time to celebrate. It is a time for joy. And here we are 2,000 years later, and and I know that for us as followers of Jesus, uh, there are times when we should fast. Fasting isn't a bad thing, right? There are times that we should abstain from food, maybe to to, uh, spend some extended time in prayer or things like that. But, But by and large, our posture in life, because we're followers of Jesus, because Jesus has forgiven our sins and restored us, by and large, our posture in life should be a posture of what, church? Joy. Because we have experienced what this world has not experienced. We've experienced salvation in Jesus Christ. It is time, right? And it will continue to be time for all of eternity. It will be time to celebrate what God has done in us through his son, Jesus Christ. You follow me? It is a time for celebrating. I had the opportunity Friday night to, to, uh, this is so good. We got an invitation about a month ago uh, for this gathering of, 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 of pastors and church planters in our area, about 40 of us just wanting to celebrate what God's been doing in our city. There's been lots of new churches planted in our city. There've been works like Gethsemane going on where churches are coming back to life, just lots of good stuff. And, and we've been a part of that here at Northwood. And, 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 and so we got together with these other pastors to celebrate. And so we got an invitation or I got an invitation in my email uh, about three or four weeks ago to join for a celebration at, now watch this, the Brazilian Steakhouse downtown. I've never been to the Brazilian Steakhouse. Do you know why? Because I can't afford it, right? It's, it's expensive. But, but when I saw that, I don't care what we're celebrating, I'm there, right? And so I, I, I replied, I RSVP'd and, you know, we, I want to make sure we clear the calendar, whatever it took, because I want to be at the Brazilian Steakhouse. And so, so I don't know if you've been there before. Have any of you been there? Some of you have, the rest of you haven't been because you're like me, you can't afford it. I get it, right? But, but if you can save up the money, oh man, it's amazing. Or if you can get somebody to take you, even better. And so, 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 so I went there Friday night and, and, and it was amazing. 40 of us in a room celebrating what God had done. And then the feast. Oh, my friend, they have a salad bar, but that's not why you go to Brazilian Steakhouse. You know what they serve at a Brazilian Steakhouse? Meat. And, and, and when I think about what heaven's gonna be like someday and, and how we're gonna be feasting at the banqueting table, I can't help but think it's gonna be like a Brazilian steakhouse because I, I, didn't, I didn't even know this, but, but there, were, there were 14 different cuts of steak they brought out. And now watch this, here's what they do. You, you've got these waiters, they come out and they've got a slab of it. And they just sit there right beside, I mean, you're, you're just, they're bringing it to you. And they begin to cut and you, they, give you tong, they give you tongs. You've got your own tongs and you're just grabbing it off the slab as much as you want. And they, they give you a card. This is so cool. They give you a card. And on that card, it's got two sides. One side is red, which means stop bringing it to me. The other side is green, which says, keep it coming. My car stayed green the whole night. Like I never flipped it over. I mean, and, 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 and I mean, I don't know how I got it all down, but I got it all down, but it was absolutely amazing. And, and what you did not hear at that table, no one came to the table and sat down and said, well, I'm just not that hungry tonight. No, 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 no. Because what you do before you go is you, I didn't eat all day in preparation. You understand? Like that, that you prepare for that kind of meal. And, and nobody around the table said, you know what? This looks really good, but I'm on a, diet. 
No, if you're on a diet, you get off your diet just for the night. You understand how it works. I mean, it was a feast and we ate and ate and ate and ate until literally a lot of us were sick. It was so good. You understand? Now think about the opportunity you have every single day of your life. Maybe not to go to a Brazilian steakhouse, but you have an op. Now watch this. You have an opportunity every single day of your life to feast on Jesus Christ. Every single day, you have the opportunity to spend time in his presence. Every single day, you have the opportunity to be in his word. Every single day, you have the opportunity to serve alongside of him. Every single day, you have the opportunity to be around people who love the Lord. Every day, you have opportunity. Talk about joyous celebration. You are privileged in this room to be able every day to feast on Jesus. But if you're gonna feast on Jesus, you can't feast on what? The old ways. This is what Jesus says. Now he uses a couple of parables and, 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 and I'm sure this was a warning to both the Pharisees and to his followers because you know what it was like. And honestly, it's not much different than today. We are a people who can get stuck in the old ways. We are a people who can get stuck in tradition and religious ritual. This is what the Pharisees did. And Jesus says, no, if you're gonna embrace me, You gotta embrace me for who I am. You have to embrace my grace completely. And he says something like this, and I'm gonna paraphrase just so we can move forward for the sake of time, but he says something like this. You can't take a new patch and put it on an old garment. It doesn't work that way. And you can't take new wine and put it into old wineskins. Those wineskins will burst. I've always been kind of confused by that because, you know, growing up, I heard that. But here, let me show you a picture of wineskin to kind of get your idea. That looks really pretty, doesn't it? But what a wineskin was in those days uh, is literally uh, the, the, the skin of an animal, often goat skin. And so, so they would make a container out of that goat skin. You'd pour your wine in it. And I, I guess you carry your wine around and drink it. I, that's how it worked. And, and so, so, but here's the deal. Over time, that wine skin would what? It would obviously age and become brittle. If you put new wine in it, new wine by its, by its makeup, it's going to expand. And so it's just not going to be able to be contained in that old wineskin. And I believe what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, listen, I've come to bring a completely new way. This is not tradition. This is not religious ritual. This is you follow me. Let me give you my grace. I'm gonna forgive you and restore you. Jesus is gonna say around the table at the last supper, I'm coming to bring what? A new covenant, grace. And I think it's a warning to his, his followers. Don't go back to those old ways. Those old ways can't contain me. I've done come to do something new, to bring you the grace of our Lord and our heavenly father. Now, I, I tell you that to tell you this. I think the first truth that, that Luke is reminding of this morning is simply this. Jesus is the joy giver, so celebrate. Now, let me, let me help you understand that. You will not find real joy if you try to patch Jesus on to your life. Because there's a temptation to do that, isn't it? Because here's reality. We are a people that tend to really like our traditions. And we have a, a, a tendency to really like our rituals. We have a tendency to like the way we've always done things but not only within the church, but in your own life, you have a tendency to like your own ways. We like oftentimes our traditions, our preferences, our own way, whatever it might be, sometimes more than we actually like Jesus. But here's the deal, right? Jesus isn't a patch on for you. 
We don't approach the Christian faith and, and, and ask a question like this. And, and some of us do this, maybe not, maybe, maybe not consciously, but, but maybe, maybe you, know, you know, kind of subconsciously we, we ask this question, right? How does Jesus fit into my already existent life? How does Jesus fit in to my life? How does he fit into my routines? How, do, how does he fit into my traditions? How does he fit into the things I enjoy? How does Jesus fit? And if you're asking that question, how does Jesus fit? That's the wrong question. The question you should be asking, right? If we really believe that Jesus is the joy giver, if he is the one where we find lasting joy, what we should be asking is, how do I reorient my life around this one who gives joy? You see, we ask the wrong question. But think about this, right? You will not find joy if you try to patch Jesus onto your life and you will not find real lasting joy if you listen to the voice of the joy less. Now, come on, this is what the Pharisees are. There's no joy in policing people and saying, you gotta do it our way, you gotta do it our way, you gotta do it our way. But you've heard it. You've heard the voice of the constant critic. You've heard the voice of, of the, the legalist. You've heard the voice of the spiritually uninformed. You've heard the voice You've heard the voice of the joyless. Now, come on now, this might get a little too close to home. Some of you are the voice of the joyless. Some of you are constantly criticizing what you don't like. Some of you are constantly saying, if you don't do it my way, you've got no part of me. You see what I'm saying? Listen, listen, joy is not found in your voice. Joy is not found in the voice of the joyless. Joy is not found in the voice of the constant critic. Joy is found in listening to Jesus and passionately pursuing him. And what Jesus says here in this passage is that he has come as our groom to bring joy, joy for you and me. And so listen, asking yourself the question, how do I reorient my life around Christ? That's where you find joy. When you begin to reorient your life around him, Think about this, listening to his voice, passionately pursuing him. That's where you find joy, not in listening to the voice of the joyless, not in being the voice of the joyless, you understand? But, but we gotta move on. This is where I think the passage really gets rich. You have the story of Jesus being confronted about not fasting. And he reminds us, no, 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 I've come to give joy. But he's also come to give rest. What Luke tells us is that it's on a Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field and they are, uh, they are harvesting grain and they are eating. There's nothing wrong with that. Because in those days, that was fairly common. If you were a farmer and you had a field, you would leave the edges of your field unharvested. This was back in Levitical law and people could literally come and eat off your field. And so what Jesus and his disciples are doing here, it is not against the law, but it's against the Pharisees' rules. Because here's what the Pharisees did. They wanted to make sure that people kept the Sabbath. The Sabbath, that Saturday in, in Jewish life is a day of what church? A day of rest. Wanna make sure you rest. And so what the Pharisees did is that they created 39 different classifications of work that you could not do on the Sabbath. And so what the disciples are doing here with Jesus, that was against the rules that the Pharisees had established. There were other rules too, like how far you could walk or you couldn't tie a knot on the Sabbath, which I, you go around with your shoes untied all day long. That's kind of weird, right? Uh, you, there was other things as well that, that, that the Pharisees said, you can't do this all in an attempt to help people actually keep the Sabbath. The problem was, if you were a good law-abiding Jew, the Sabbath became a day of what? 
work because it's hard work to try to remember all the rules. You understand? But, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is not the idea of Sabbath that God intended. Now, let me help you understand this. And I want you to just to dial in for a minute, make sure you understand this. So you've been taking a nap, wake back up for just a few minutes and you can go back to sleep about five or 10 minutes if you want to, whatever. But, but just listen carefully. Go back to Genesis chapter one. It's really interesting, isn't it? In six days, God created everything. And on the seventh day, he rested. What's interesting to me, when you go back to Genesis one, it says things like this. There was the first day and then evening and morning. And you see this pattern. But when you get to the seventh day, now watch this. I think this is intentional. And Moses is explaining the Sabbath. After the seventh day, he doesn't mention evening and morning. Because I think that when we get to Genesis chapter two, and we begin to read about the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, do you know what the Garden of Eden was? It was a place, a perpetual Sabbath. You follow me? Because what happened in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve were what? In the presence of God. Can you think of anything more restful than that? To be in the presence of God unhindered by sin. Isn't that good? But not only that, think about this. They were in the presence of God and they were what? Doing whatever God wanted them to do, right? Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God had given us a specific command. Be fruitful, multiply, have have dominion over the earth. And so, so what was happening in the garden of Eden, follow me, before sin entered in the picture, Adam and Eve were living in a restful relationship with God as they walked with God, as they were in his will restful. And then something happened, sin. And when sin happened, this world became what? Quite restless. And so the Sabbath day was a reminder, a reminder every week that what your heart needs and what your heart longs for, what your heart craves is rest, real rest, lasting rest, eternal rest. This Sabbath day was a reminder of the kind of rest that God ultimately wants for his people. Rest where we are, we are focused on him, living for his will. That's what the Sabbath was a reminder of. Now you've got these Pharisees that are mad because Jesus is in the field picking grain. I mean, think about rest. These disciples are where? They are in the field with whom? With Jesus. I mean, that sounds like a pretty good Sabbath to me to actually be with Jesus. The Pharisee said, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to do that. And so Jesus tells a story. He says, don't you remember? And he takes them back to 2 Samuel chapter 21. And he takes them back to the story where David, who wasn't the king yet, but who would be king, he'd already been anointed king. He was fleeing from Saul because Saul was jealous of him. And while he's fleeing, what does he do? He goes in the holy place of God and he eats from the table of showbread. This was a table that every day, 12 loaves of bread were put out to remind the people of how God wants to fellowship with his people. But only the priests were supposed to eat of that bread. Well, David goes in there, he and his buddies who were escaping from Saul and what do they do? They eat of that bread. They're not supposed to do it. But if you were a Pharisee, now watch this. Here's what I want you to hear. If you were a Pharisee in the days of Jesus, you wouldn't look back on that story in 2 Samuel chapter 21 and say, look what David did. He sinned against God. No Pharisee would say that. Why? Because David was the great king of Israel because David was what? God's anointed. Now Jesus is saying, do you know who's in the field with these disciples? God's anointed. 
the real king, the true king. I'm here and I've come to bring joy and I've come to bring rest. And Jesus makes that statement. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. You think it's a day of the week that's gonna give you rest. It's not, it's me. I am the one who gives rest. This is why Jesus is gonna say something like this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. But then the, 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 the Pharisees try to trap him. You've got another story. On yet another Sabbath day, Look at what it says in the, in the text. You come down to chapter six, uh, verse six. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man whose right hand was shriveled. Now we're not given a lot of detail about this particular gentleman. We don't know how long he's had this issue, but probably this, this issue with his hand is preventing him from being able to do what? Work. So on the Sabbath, the scribes and Pharisees, they're closely watching Jesus because they know that Jesus heals people. They've, they've heard the reports. Some of them have probably even seen some miracles. And if he heals on the Sabbath, it's work. He's broken the law. He's guilty. And Jesus knows it. He knows it's a setup and he knows what they're thinking. And so what does he do? He does what Jesus does. Look at what it says. Um, you come down and, and verse eight, he knew their thoughts and told the man with a shriveled hand, get up, stand here. So he got up and stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to destroy life? After looking around at all, them all, he told them, stretch out your hand. He did and his hand was restored. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. You see it? Jesus essentially says, you're so bent on your rules and regulations, so much so that you care so much about your rules and regulations that you cease to care about people who actually have need. And I'm telling you, the best use of the Sabbath today is for me to what? Show mercy on this man and Jesus heals him. Now, I want you to stop and think about what's going on here. The first story, the reminder that Jesus has come to give us joy. But this second story and this third story is a reminder that Jesus has not only come to give us joy, he's come to give us rest. And rest isn't a day of the week. Rest is a person. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I just wanna help you to see this, right? Jesus is the Sabbath, so rest in him. That's the second truth that, that Luke is pointing out to us. And I want you to understand a couple of things. One, you need a nap. You need a day off and you need a vacation. And all of you would say, amen, you know that. There's something good about taking a nap. There's something good about taking a day off. There's something good about taking a vacation. It's good to pull away. It's good to rest. It's good to physically rest and have your body restored. Some of you need more of that. Some of you haven't taken a vacation in a long time. You need to. Some of you haven't taken a day off in a long time. You need to. All those things are good. But here's what I want you to know. And, and you know this from experience. Now watch this. You can take a day off. You can take a nap. You can take a vacation and still not be rested. Because here's what I found over the course of my life, and you've probably found it too. Taking a vacation doesn't take away my stress, doesn't take away my anxiety, doesn't take away my worry. Taking a nap doesn't take away my stress, doesn't take away my anxiety, doesn't take away my worry. Taking a day off doesn't deal with my sin problem. You see what I'm saying? Like I need those things. Those things are important. 
And I think there's a pattern in scripture where, where God is calling us to pull away. You see Jesus pull away. You need to pull away. It's good to retreat. It's good to have extended times of prayer. It's good to have extended times of study. All those things are good and healthy. But you need more than a day off. You need more than a week off. You need more than a nap, right? You don't need a nap as much as you need abiding in Jesus. Now follow me because here's what I've learned over the course of my life. Life is crazy and hectic, but I'm able to handle life a whole lot better. I'm able to, 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 to see Christ at work in my life much more clearly when I am regularly abiding in him. Because when I abide in him on a regular basis, I'm experiencing the kind of rest that Christ wants to give me. You see what I'm saying? All I'm saying to you is rest is found not in the day of the week. Rest is found not in a nap. Rest is found not in a vacation. Rest is found in a person who has invited you to abide in him. Because what I found over the course of my life is the more I abide, Abide in him. Now watch this. The more I learn how to trust him and the more I learn how to trust him, the less I worry, the less anxious I am, the less I stress. Why? Because as I abide, what am I doing, church? I'm resting. And here's the problem for many of us. The reason why some of us are so restless is because we're not abiding in the one who is the Sabbath. Do you follow? You have this invitation to abide in Christ, to experience his Sabbath rest. And as crazy and as hectic as your life might be day in and day out, I'm just telling you, the more abide, the more you experience that rest. Now think about this. You don't need a nap as much as you need abiding in Jesus. And you don't need a nap as much as you need to minister to the needs of people. Because here's what I've also found. And I think this is what we're seeing in the garden of Eden. When everything was right, what did Adam and Eve do? They abided in God and they served him and they were rested until they sinned. And I'm just telling you, I experience the rest of God in my life when I abide in him and I obey his voice. When I abide in him and I obey his voice, I experience rest. But here's, here's the deal, right? Like, just think about this. I'm gonna go home this evening. I'm gonna go home after service. We're gonna eat lunch. I'm gonna take a quick nap and come right back. Because we have, we have a quip group tonight. We have, you know, preaching live tonight. So I'm gonna actually put, I mean, I'm a preacher. I only work one day a week. You know that, right? That's a joke. Please don't believe that joke. So, so, so some of you are like, okay. Some of you just woke back up and you're like, that's not even fun. So anyway, so, 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 <laughs> um, but, but I'm gonna go home tonight. I'll, I'll finally get home about 8.30 or so after the day is done. And you know what I'm gonna be? I'm gonna be physically exhausted. It's a long day. But in that physical exhaustion, now watch this. You know what I'm also gonna be? Spiritually rested. Because, because here's the reality, right? What I've done today, I hope, as I've, I've proclaimed the word of God and I've taught and I've discipled, what I've done is, is I've been obedient. I've been abiding in Christ today. And I've been obedient to his call in my life. And so while I might go home physically exhausted, I'm gonna be rested. Tomorrow, I'm gonna get up. I'm going to give my best on my job. I'm going to give my best in my marriage. Now, I, I understand I'm going to have some mess ups along the way. I'm going to do my best to disciple my children. When opportunities come up to share my faith, I'm going to give my best in that. I'm going to do my best every day this week, wherever God has me, to serve him well. You follow me? And so at the end of every day, when I lay my head down on my pillow, you can ask my wife, I'm going to be exhausted. As soon as I lay my head down, I usually go to sleep, right? About nine o'clock, I'm, I'm out. 
But when I lay my head down on my pillow, in spite of all the busyness of the day, in spite of, of the challenges, in spite of this and that, I will go to bed at night rested in Christ. Why? Because I've been abiding in him and because I've been serving him to the best of my ability. You see, when you and I think of rest, we oftentimes think of what I need is a Sabbath. I need a day off. And yes, you do need a day off. You need a place like this, a time like this, where we gather corporately. We need a Sunday where we come together and worship God and remind ourselves of who he is and what he, we need this. But you also need, you also need daily abiding and daily obedience because in the daily abiding and daily obedience, you experience over and over again, the rest of God. And the reason why so many of us feel restless is because we have not learned how to abide and obey. In that abiding and obeying, right? You're experiencing the Sabbath. You're experiencing the kind of life that God has for you. You're experiencing what it looks like to live out his will. I know it's a restless world, but in this restless world, as you learn to abide, as you learn to obey, and you really do, you really do experience the Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath, giving you rest. Now, you, you understand this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what God has given you. It's a gift, a gift of his rest. So, so let me just help you with a couple of things. You won't abide in Jesus or minister to the needs of people until you are willing to let some things go. Now, now listen to me. This is why we are so restless. This is why we have a hard time living in the rest of Christ that he's given us as a gift, right? Because why? Sin, right? Because of selfishness, right? Because of our lack of focus on his will, because of our unwillingness to abide, because of letting anxiety and stress and worry take precedent in our lives. And so listen, this morning, if you want to continue to know and experience that rest that Christ has given you, don't fight against him. He's given you rest, but you tend to go back to restless ways. Do you follow? And you go back to restless ways when you walk in unconfessed sin. When you let worry and anxiety dominate your life instead of learning how to trust God in every situation. And so it might be for you this morning as we begin to end our time together, laying down. Laying down that worry and anxiety and asking God to help you to learn how to trust him again. It might be for you this morning, confessing sin. Because those are, are things, right, that will rob you of the rest that Christ wants to give you. Or think about this. You won't, you won't experience complete rest until you're home with Jesus. There's a gift of rest now. That inside of a relationship with Jesus, as we walk with him, as we abide in him, as we serve him, as we live in God's will, you do experience rest. But that perfect rest yet awaits us. This is what's so beautiful. In Hebrews chapter four, the writer of Hebrews talks about rest. He, he tells us that there's a, there's a rest yet to come because there's going to be a day church when what happens? When Christ returns for his people, when, when the groom returns for the bride, that's the day we wait. That's the day we long for. That's the day we, we are most excited about is that day when the trump resounds. And the heavens open up and we see the son of man returning to this earth to gather his people. 
Because on that day, he will take us home to be with him. We will sit around the banqueting table. We will eat 14 cuts of steak. It's gonna be awesome, right? And we will be with him forever and forever. And forever we will abide in his presence without the hindrance of sin. Forever we will serve him. Forever we will worship him. Forever we will obey him without any hindrance of sin. And forever we will experience Sabbath rest, just like God intended for Adam and Eve to experience in the Garden of Eden before they sin. That's what's coming for you. Eternal rest, you see. And so for you this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's an invitation for you. You can experience it in this life, joy, rest. As you believe that Jesus, who lived a perfect life, never sinned, went to a cross and paid the penalty for your sin by dying in your place, the death that you deserve took your punishment upon himself so that your sins could be forgiven and rose from the dead three days later to guarantee for you victory over sin and death so you might enjoy life with him forever. You want joy? You want rest? Give your life to Jesus this morning. Experience salvation. Be born again by the power of the Spirit. Turn from your sins, turn to him by faith and experience the joy and rest that Jesus wants to give you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you can rest. You can rest. You can rest in the joy of your savior who gave his life for you so you could have life abundant eternal. And I know it. I know because I'm there too. We all seem to struggle with worry and anxiety and stress and chaos and brokenness. But I'm just telling you, in the midst of all that, there's rest as you abide, as you follow, as you serve him, there's rest. And here's what's happened in in this room. There's some of us in this room that we've, we've picked up the ways of restlessness again. You've picked up the anxiety. You've picked up the sin. You've picked up those things that, that, that Christ has saved you from. And it's making you restless. I just want to ask you during this time of invitation, let go. Let go. Repent. Confess. Ask God to build in you a trusting heart. Make a renewed commitment to abide in him. Let us help you abide. That's why we do discipleship groups and life connection groups and all those things that help you to learn how to abide daily in Christ. I don't know how the spirit of God is leading you to respond this morning. I know that he is. In the corners of this room are two crosses. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as you have a time of invitation, move to one of those crosses. There'll be someone there who's ready to pray with you and help you this morning and begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you just want to come down front and, and, and ask God to help you to walk in the rest that he's given you in Christ Jesus. Whenever he is speaking to you, you respond to him in obedience now. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come to forgive us of our sins, to restore us to the Father, to give us joy and rest. And we are most rested, not when we take a day off, but when we're walking by faith, trusting you, living for your kingdom. Oh, what a restful existence that is. And even in the midst of our physical exhaustion, we can be so rested in your grace. Now, thank you for that. So Father, I pray now that you would help us to respond to your voice and obedience this morning. For that man, that woman who's in this room who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, 
I pray that person would come and trust you as Lord this morning. So have your way now, I ask. Help us respond to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You rise your feet as a time of invitation together. You come as the Spirit of God leads you.